0: So today is March 9th, 2017, and we're at the Central Library for Our Streets, Our Stories Oral History Project with a reflection on Bushwick. My name is Taina Evans, and I'm here with... Meryl Meisler. Hi, Meryl. Can you please start by telling us your Brooklyn story? Certainly. Thank you. I, I, Taina, uh, my Brooklyn story, I think it has to start with the fact that I was born in the Bronx and my entire family lived in the Bronx, and I grew up then at age two and a half, I moved out to, my family moved to Massapequa, Long Island, and we always visited people, you know, our family religiously in the Bronx and back and forth. And I really didn't know anyone or any, other than neighbors whose families were from Brooklyn. I didn't really know Brooklyn at all, it just wasn't part of my coming-of-age experience. And, at the age of 24 after going to college and I moved into Manhattan with some cousins and then a few times I went to Coney Island or I had a friend who lived in Park Slope, Oh no actually it was a lifelong family friend um, it, during, during my same period in the 70s and it was a Millie and Murray Shapiro and unfortunately Millie Became very ill, cancer, and she came to move with her in with her. They came to move in with their son, in, in I think Flatbush or Midwood. Okay, so anyway, so I didn't really know Brooklyn, and I was became a a Cedar photographer, Comprehensive Employment Training Act, I'd be, was going out to the discos at night we're talking about the 70s and I'm in my 20s and and I and my connection my first connection with Bushwick was the night of the blackout in 1977 I was going to go to Studio 54 like I was doing a lot and at that time we were, my friend Judy Jupiter and I were invited by one of the owners of Studio 54 to meet him at one of their private parties so we were very excited and and I was getting ready in my my room in my cousin Elaine Rosner's house on 92nd between Columbus and Central Park and get all dressed up dolled up and the lights go out and so and like I you know I grew up in the 60s I experienced the blackout in the 60s I didn't know that's what it was yet but then we went out to go to the subway there's no subways um there's, you know, the lights are out. It's like, well, we're going out. We took our bicycles and drove down to Studio Fifty Four, and pounded on the door, and you know, and the doors are closed. And like, what's going on? You know, what's going on? It's like actually closed. And then we found out the next day, really, that this was the big blackout. Now, how does this connect to, to Bushwick? Because the next day, you started getting some news and newspapers. And that's when I first, first ever heard of this this place called Bushwick, because it made the news big time—not in a positive manner. It made the news that because it was a site of of riots and burning and looting, and and this went on for days, and. Um, in my head to know I was going out to some clubs I did check out some of the I did go to Bensonhurst I'm just thinking back I did go because being that I was going to the club scene I actually wanted to see the the famous club where Saturday Night Fever was uh, filmed you know it's a very limited Brooklyn experience and certainly Bushwick was not on my agenda of a place I was going to check out then because it I had no connection to it other than this um, Yeah not positive news experience okay so fast forward here we are in 77 like I said I became a CETA which is the Comprehensive Employment Act. it was like the WPA of the 70s I was a photographer for the for the American Jewish Congress photographing my own extended family you know Jewish roots coming to America and meeting family but I was also doing documentary photo- photographs of Jewish New York for the American Jewish Congress. So that brought me out to places like Sheepshead Bay and Purim. I was thinking of Borough Park. I photographed, no, excuse me, Williamsburg. I photographed Williamsburg. I, I you know, went, out, went out to assume Sephardic. Nursing homes and documented these nursing homes, and and other things that were relevant to what the American Jewish Congress was doing, or that I found I wanted to do. So then, and, and then CETA ended, and I re- really needed a full time job. I was an illustrator, a freelance illustrator, and the bills came regularly, but the checks were always in the mail, and my grad, my undergraduate degree was in education, art education, but I was always scared to teach. So as part of CETA, uh, we had to do, we had to do like volunteer work, community service. And I chose my community service to be a teacher, to teach photography. And I taught homebound, homebound handicapped people and kids. It was really so hard to get over my fear factor okay so here we are in 1979 i started teaching in, in the part four days a week in the public school system they were it was a job first was job was in you know upper west side then i was in the lower east side and then the next year i was in east new york so here i was in brooklyn first time going every day and then this whole time i was a per diem teacher that's what it was called i taught four days a week meaning that you got paid for when you work. You didn't get paid for when you didn't work. There was no health care or other benefits. And so I was on a waiting list for a full-time job. And when the letter came, here I am. I was, at that time I was living in, in still in, on 90, West 92nd Street and A letter came that I there was a full-time position for me. I was file number 489361, there's a full-time position. And it said, Roland Hayes, Intermediate School 291 in Brooklyn. And I needed to come for an interview and I could accept the job. You know, come for an interview. And if I decided not to accept the job, I would be off the waiting list forever. Yeah, I always thought it was like I would be back on the wait list. I look, I found, I still have that letter. That was it. It was either you take this job or you don't. Yeah, you know, either you accept a job full time, being appointed, or don't. And like, yeah, of course, it's way pre pre internet, so it's it's 1980. We're talking about December 1981, and I had a an appointment to go with my little portfolio to Roland Hayes Intermediate School. Two ninety one, and I must have looked up where it was, and it was in this section called Bushwick, and I didn't certainly didn't know anything about it other than, the negative news I'd heard. And I get out of the subway, it's like, like at a chorus line. I really need this job, and I get out of the subway, and it was the L train to Myrtle Wyckoff, It was easy enough to get to. I walk out, and I look, and and that. The street, but like a, you know, looked like a bomb had hit it the week before. There were standing buildings, but a lot of them were shuttered down. I don't even think I saw any people on the street walking up that block. And in my head, I said to myself, hmm, the week before Christmas, maybe the first the other art teacher was killed. And I, <laughs> and I walk up the street, and on Palmetto Street, and I entered the building, and it was. It was a middle school, it was middle school chaos, as middle schools can be. And I met the principal, Mr. Samber, who was quite the gentleman, dressed in his three piece suit, really a gentleman. Everybody was very formal, Ms. Miser, Mr. Samber. Whatever. And we, I went in for an interview, and he would let me know that he, I, we spoke. I showed him my portfolio of my some of my personal work, but also some of the projects I'd been doing in my other jobs for two and a, two and a half, you know, two years and three months, and and I remember thinking it was odd that he went on to say he was an art teacher himself to become a principal, and he was spending his time hand lettering his calendar, desk calendar. And I was like, okay. But he was like, I said, I accepted the job. And you know, I would start. And let me tell you, I cried plenty that year. I mean, here I, I was teaching in East New York at the time. East New York did not have the reputation that Bushwick did, it also was standing buildings. <laughs> you know, it was, was standing building, I mean, kids, you don't do You, you have to be a certain kind of pe- person to like teaching and even though I was new and I was certainly crying a lot I also liked it very much and I started it like I say that week before Christmas and I remember turning my back while teaching and someone threw a crayon on my head and I was like never using crayons again I never turned my back again. I was had minimal classroom management skills to begin with, because it really takes a, some people a lot longer than others. And the, fortunately, the classrooms had no my classroom had no windows, so it was um, nothing can go out the window, but it got it, it would be noisy. My, I learned about teaching from, fortunately, someone who I recommend you speak to, Mr. And Mrs. Mrs. Napa because that's how we, and she lives here in Park Slope. She was the teacher next door and she, out of pity or need for a quiet classroom of her own, she would come in and give me tips, you know, how to structure my class, how to make this work, This was before, or my prior experience was when in, I was teaching elementary age students and and junior high school I think we all know that that middle school kids are going through the changes. It's entering them big time. And so she would give me, you know, really solid advice on how to make it so they are <laughs> in place, you know, and working from beginning to end. And I also had a supervisor, Mr. Ganzel, and I could see that I had talent beyond everything else, but it's his big advice, he says, one thing: if you could do one thing, keep them in their seats. It's because you know, basically, you could yell, but you can yell so loud. You could throw things, but you could throw it so so far. But if you keep them in your seats, then then that will do it. And that was like, that was my uh, bottom line: keep them in their seats. At the time, and I cried a lot. I'd go home, and cry. At the, at that time, I was not carrying a camera the way I'm, you know. I have a camera with me now. I it's like I'm some. I love photography. The previous June on my last year, in the school, that I was teaching in the Lower East Side. On the last day of school, I brought my big camera, my medium format camera, because the last day of school we we'll have a party, and but and. Someone entered the doorway, looked at me, and said, I have a gun, give me your camera. And I didn't question, I just gave him my, my camera. And and no one else saw it happen, but I saw it happen, and I certainly wasn't going to question whether or not you know he had a gun. I just like, there's my camera. And even though I had, loved that camera, and I bought the same model duplicate, it wasn't the same. It's like losing your best friend, and you could have a clone, but they're not the same person. So I was not going to carry a camera to Bushwick it really did look like a place that was dangerous and I also had that experience behind me but then by, by February I realized as I'm going back and forth and I'm getting a little more used you know you learn how to keep them in the seats I'm getting tips the paychecks coming in I can go to the dentist you know things like that and and I started realizing walking up and down the subway because I'd get off at the L train and melt Myrtle and go up and I would see things happening, like you know, like kids were playing on the street or people recognized me and smiled, or I realized it has beautiful light here because the buildings were low. Even though if, even if the buildings were damaged and down, it was actually very low buildings and I realized it was beautiful light. I bought a, one of the early point and shoots and carried side film, very inexpensive. And I would carry my little camera, just walking from this, you know, getting on the subway, going to school, and then on my way home, photographing back in, to the subway. And sometimes if, if there was a, you know, it was, uh, it was called your covering. When you're covering for a teacher who's absent in a room, it had windows because it was a style of architecture. With don't do that anymore. Having rooms without windows, it works for this place, but not not for school. You need light. And it was something going outside the window. I Take my little camera and, and take a picture. And I and I did this just naturally, normally, my entire 14 years working in bushwork. Even when I at, in in 1980. 83 or 84 I, I moved to Park Slope and at that, that time right here on, on 8th between 8th and the park and so when we moved to Park Slope I got it my friend who lived in Park Slope was moving into the, to the loft I was subletting we were I was, I was living at Chelsea at the time subletting a friend's loft the friend who lived in Park Slope we did a swap i he moved to the, the loft my, my partner Patricia and I moved to Park Slope and I got, bought his car, his used car. So then I was driving to Bushwick and parking and it was very, it wasn't considered safe to, you'd be, if you left your car out there in the morning, it would be like picked like a chicken by the end of the afternoon. So there were no, no parking spots, so it just that was a business a lot of people rented out there, parking spots to teachers. So again, I you know, taking a picture, Walk, just walking from the classroom to the parking spot, or then for tr- or if we had in an an after school a meeting at another school, and I would walk though there. I'd carry the camera. A few ta- eventually, someone noticed, another teacher noticed that I was was taking pictures. I also shared with the students. This is advice for people who are teachers you know if you're small like me or if you're not don't you don't have a natural classroom management skill if you're an art teacher you have well, whatever your passion is sharing that with the students is i think is your power the fact that they could see that i could really draw and paint and i was a uh, doing professional illustration work on the side i'd show it to them so they had respect i something i could share show teach step by step so i Doing artwork with the students, and occasionally, you know, people would see that on my. I'd sign. It was you could even leave the building without signing out. It wasn't considered safe. Um, I would sign out. Was it just it just wasn't permitted? Sign out to, because you know, I noticed outside the window, the school two ninety one was on Palmetto, which was parallel to Gates Avenue, between Knicker and. Knickerbocker and Wilson. I have since come to learn that Knickerbocker was known as the, as the well at the time because you could get any kind of drug in the world. And this is Wilson. And then there were rows after rows, blocks after blocks of what I called dead buildings. When you looked out the window, it was just city block after city block of unoccupied, burnt out, disheveled buildings. And, I, and sometimes we'd look out the window and, and we'd yell to the kids, hey, get, you're playing hooky, get off, get off the rooftop. They would be jumping from rooftop to rooftop or some people would going and stealing the copper piping for selling it. Um, and I'd photograph that. I also would photograph, I saw it at, at one point, so I, did, I, I learned a technique that you could apply as an artist, as a photographer, as an artist. I was always applying for grants and you're used to getting rejected. Well, I learned that as a, as a teacher, if I applied for grants, I had a better chance at it because I don't think anyone else had as much experience as I did and I'd come up with project ideas. And they were really based, because I started becoming very interested in the history of Bushwick itself because I'd look out the window or look at these buildings that were falling apart coming down and they were beautiful limestones like the ones on on the, right here in Prospect Park where I lived. They were beautiful brownstones. I mean they were you could see the architecture was beautiful that this was upscale housing that was for some reason deserted right now. And and I was Interested in it, so I started looking into the history of the neighborhood because I was personally interested. And at the same time, one of the, the, my teaching colleagues, Mr. Butler, who lived here in Park as well, everyone, Mr. Miss, Mr. Butler came up to me one day. He says, "Meryl, I see that you really like photography a lot." He said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, we're going to start it. How would you feel about starting a photography program here?" I was like. Oh, that'd be great he said yeah because it is going to be this attendance improvement dropout prevention program, and we'll put a pla you know job description for a photography teacher apply for it and I did, which meant kind of like it's written for you let's be truthful it's like it's weird for you because you had to have a certain amount of experience and whatever I fit all the qualifications and out of From like I I felt like it was, I was in the desert and manna. You know, like the Hebrews crossing from slavery to the desert. You're through the desert, and manna came from the sky. It was like I was got the position, and he gave me a book, and he said order supplies. And it was I had like a budget of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, I had like no budget for materials before that. It's true that teachers supply most of their. They spend most of their personal money on supplies. I mean, if they get a budget of like $200 a year, I mean, this is still true. It's so little. And I was like, to set up a, a, a dream program, I ordered cameras, I ordered enlargers, chemicals, slide projectors, slide film, you know, like black and white film, developing tanks, and art, and art supplies. And it was like, it was amazing. And it was just, so this dropout prevention program was you know give kids more interest and also social workers who go to home people more more attention to those people who looked they those kids who were already in the school who were absent a lot you know there there seemed to be an indication they they would be eventually drop out of school and they got a a lot more personal attention and counseling and. Yeah, you get to take a photography class. And I based my curriculum, and and I was very, you know, my, as a teacher, and I taught for 31 years, I am very thankful that I always worked in schools where I was allowed to develop my own curriculum. I think that's so important. I think you have to have a personal passion and be able to express it rather than follow some dictate. And as long as you're, you're covering the basics, but I started a phot- photography with art program, and the, and the focus of it was about the students' personal lives and their, and learning about the history of their neighborhood because I you know realize that this is a really, they may think they're in a place that is the, the pits, but it actually has a very rich history and they're part of it and so every single project we did was re- related to learning about their neighborhood and learning of, or or and or talking about some of the struggles that they faced in their day i i'd also like to backtrack a little it was also at the 80 the beginning of the 80s and so as much as it was challenging to work in middle school these teachers would say you let you know would talk about it and said we have to become aware, the crack babies are coming. It's like, what's that? It's like, well, Bushwick at the time was a really, a manufacturing sector. That was a business of crack, you know, drugs and crack. And, and a lot of the kids were born of, from parents who were addicted or used, and they would be affected forever by them, and so there would be new kinds of issues that we'd have to yeah. have to come to understand and help. And so that was part of teaching middle school that time. But they were coming of age. They were leaving the elementary school, and it was a new kinds of challenges, what to say. All right, so I'm gonna go just a little back backtrack. So like, like I said, I, I bought a camera because I realized, and so I was photographing it because, I realized it wasn't just doom and gloom out there. It was like, these were kids. You know, they were people. They, were, they had gems. They, would smile. they were smiles. They were fun. They were, I remember one of, first, one of the first pictures I took with my little camera was you know, this boarded-up building and, and some, with tires all around it, and someone put up a, like a wrecked-up hoop, an old hoop, and they were playing basketball. This is what I was looking for. I photographed, I see my, my students and their families out in, the, there were a lot of abandoned lots, filled with garbage, filled with cars, I mean, it must have been like a, a, a dumping ground for, uh, for cars that were broken, well, they, you know, like I have a picture of one of my students and her brother who I also toured, and her had their uncles, and then other kids, and they're having a picnic while the, while the parents, the adults, are fixing the cars, and, and then they would use them. So they were or playing jump rope. Finding one of the photographs that I I exhibited for the first time in 2011 was because it reminded me of my friends building a soho. Was a photograph of a family just playing, hanging out on the stoop and playing jump rope, and it was in, a, in a, an exhibit, and I had, I'm going forward and backwards, I apologize. But I wanted the Bushwick community to see this work and I reached out, it's a new time. I got contacted by someone who saw this image online and and said, you know, I, her name is Vanessa Martier and I'll give you her name, and she maybe she's someone she'd like to interview. She, uh, and she said, I was, I'm a teaching writer I grew up in Bushwick. I actually was doing a workshop at Bushwick High School, which is down where I was, and, and the te- and the kids were complaining about how horrible the neighborhood is. And this is this is we're talking about 2011, and she said, "Oh, you have no idea what it was like." And it's like and the teacher in the room because she was Vanessa's not a licensed school teacher. It's like you, it's like it's like being an unlicensed driver in a room. You have to have a licensed teacher. And that teacher said, you should look up the work of Meryl Meisler, which to me floored me that she even knew my name. And Vanessa looked up on her break, and she sees this little slideshow, and she goes, oh, my God. She found a picture of herself. She was in that picture with the family playing jump rope. And there's her back to the camera, and she's also someone running Him memoirs as a writer. And she said in the email, I just finished a chapter telling the story about that man in the, looking out the window, looking at you with the photographer. That was the man who molested me as a child. That's uh, so I went, oh! <laughs> we, anyway, we met and we collaborated on some shows, to, exhibits together. So anyway, my interest in, in photographing, besides being a, a passion of mine, I realize in retrospect because I'm starting to show these pictures later on that I really only photographed photograph photographed things that I found uplifting or people I found joyous or if there were pictures of buildings and they were the rest it was also there was beautiful light on it or people might think oh this is it a bad period. It's like, no, this building coming down is a sign of progress because they're clearing the land. i or I photograph for interesting composition. I did not take pictures. there's very little few pictures of graffiti because most of the graffiti murals were of young people who died. I didn't photograph you know needles on the ground or crack files. i I, I think, in retrospect, I was giving myself positive reinforcement to keep doing the job, what I was doing. I didn't want to quit. I couldn't afford to quit. I also didn't want to quit. And, I, and so it wasn't c- conscious I, I, then, but I, now that I think of it, I was only photographing things that I found uplifting. And, and for very selfish reasons, I didn't want to get despondent. And I, and yeah, and I think that's. I didn't. I wanted. Eventually. You uh, know, eventually teaching got better. I started to really love it. Okay, I, I got a hang of ha- working with the middle school kids. Or also, or a, if you're not there the first year and you didn't quit, you did a second, you did a third. Uh, they get used to you, and they're like, okay, she's she's not quitting on us. I also became involved with other art ed- educators. There was a group of us uh, who, who taught in Bushwick who became core members of something called Artists Teachers Concerned. We we were art te- teachers who who believed in using s- artists social practice to help students become not just about the elements of art, which are art, as a, that's a way of communicating and understanding your world and integrating with other subjects. Socially consumed, we showed socially concerned student student artwork, and at that point, we started getting like the student work. Like I knew, I I knew I had a good bulletin board if it wasn't set on fire. <laughs> you cut up. Your kids model what they see. There were fires. You know, if you grow up and there's fires all over, you know, just, you set fires when you're mad. Uh, the school itself was opened without a certificate of occupancy. It was never finished. There were hanging live wires. There were things that really weren't safe. It was an incomplete building, and and. And only got worse. It was, and so what? Another program. I mean, at one point from this artist teacher concerned. We we started showing we started showing students artwork, with like a, a, a little gallery that opened up in Williamsburg. Started showing students' artwork. Got into Dia Art Foundation. You know, in to museum settings. But this one group, group material put out a call inviting artist teachers concerned to submit a piece to pieces. Based on the theme of education democracy, and I talk with my students. So I, then I had this photography program, and I was doing it with because my own work. I was painting on my photographs. I was working with them with mixed media and photography, and talking about you know about what's about their ideas about education democracy. What's going, And they could not get past the point that there were things that were wrong with our school. And so we came up with the concept together of question marks to question. To question things that use the cameras to document things that, that were wrong like physically, literally, physically, the things that were wrong, and it were like you, you need to be taken care of. You know, we're talking about lives here, and also things that if they were, if they were, had the power, if they were the administrator, their suggestions of what they would do to make school better, and every student had all the kids in the program. We call ourselves. Merrill, the maryland the on the drop-ins because they were no longer drop-ins they were drop-ins and they could write any suggestion about what they would do to improve the school and they could sign their name they could not sign their name most kept it anonymous they wanted because they really want to be free to say what they want and it could have been anything about you know like fix the toilets or why is there a hanging you know, electrical wire or holes on the inside of the building or it's too hot. You know, we have rooms without windows. It's spoiling, uh, What, what is, what would there be? Their suggestions about, you know, there was curriculum or better lunches. And they wrote them out of index cards, and then we we sent out. We took the, the kids used cameras, and they photographed things going on, and it, and then we got the pictures back because said to to be developed and come back. And use red paint to circle things that were wrong, like mark it. And we assembled those. They weren't. They weren't. Came up with the idea together about making huge question marks. And by mis- and you can't. You don't give a kid a jigsaw. You know, I, I could use a jigsaw. So I cut them out, and by mistake, I glued them backwards because they they were pieces that glued backwards. So when it, they end up being backwards and upside down, like Hispanic question marks, which worked. And the kids pasted these, these they painted them all red and pasted painted these pictures, photographs showing what they found wrong and their suggestions and putting them on the, on the question marks. With, and it, it ended up being in the D. Art Foundation show, like it was 88, getting oh, reviewed in the New York Times, you know, hanging next to Andy Warhol and Joseph boys and all these other people. And... And and several years later, the same group, group materials, wrote. Um, we we have an invitation for our group to do an installation at the Whitney Museum Biennial about they called AIDS the AIDS timeline, and we feel like that the lack of education about AIDS helps certainly spread the disease further and. Can we use your que- one of your question marks? I said, you could use a dot. So it was kind of a miracle. I think it was 1991 that here a gigantic moving truck came from the Whitney Museum to take one of our art pieces and put it in the Whitney Biennial, and we could go see it. Okay, some of the other projects we did with the kids. Okay, one, one thing I saw, I said I was talking about the fact that this is even before I had the photography program. I saw that these rows and rows of dead buildings, that people were starting to take them down. They were, you know, One or two people in, in their own private little uh, trucks or by hand were taking down the buildings, so it's coming down. I said, oh, and, and that's starting to get leveled. It's like, hmm, well, there are these green thumb programs. I can apply for a grant for a green thumb program. Yeah, be good. You know, art is about life, and we could start a garden. And I made up this application for a green thumb program using one of my personal photographs I took of the area. And I, besides the idea, I you know because, as an art art teacher, I never stopped doing my own artwork. It's like because I didn't. What's the point? And I painted a garden in place and submitted this as part of the proposal. And I got a letter back from, the local whoever was governing the the program, saying this is a wonderful idea, but the land is slated for public use, so we can't. I said, okay. Well, years later, that land right across where I painted this imaginary garden ended up becoming the site of Hope Gardens. It's a public housing project. the, The last huge, long, long, Public housing project in our country, and it was done really, really well. So these acres of of dead buildings became city blocks of public housing that was built with humanity in mind. They're not tall towers. They're you know made two levels, three levels garden areas around it, parking, and so they still look beautiful to this day because they're made with human beings in mind. Okay, some, some of the other projects we did, so, and I ended up getting another small uh, small, small grant um, to do more planting in the front of the school because I'd use it. So I'd always, I would I'm talking about AIDS. Um, one of the projects I applied to the idea I had but I, I, in order to talk about AIDS and HIV, I got licensed to talk about it, because you can't just do something. And, I mean, you can, but you, I want, you need to be educated and licensed. Otherwise, you're, you're delving into dangerous uh, territory. So, again, I was, I was not, and I'm going back to the reason I took these positive pictures, I was, I was not someone who was in Bushwick for a, a day, a week, on an assignment, I was there indefinitely, because when you're appointed to a school, you belong to the district. It's actually hard to leave. But I also started to really love it. We felt purposeful, enjoying it. I was enjoying learning about the history with my students. Another project that we did, I say it was like a few blocks away, going up to Broadway, which was like, I rarely walked up to Broadway, I have to admit, because that was, that was considered the real danger zone you know that's where the real some action happened it was also dark it was also it's just a, but going up there I saw this like theater I was like this is a magnificent theater what is this place but it's all boarded up with, but they're all boarded up but with holes in it it was a crowd count you know it was a place where people went and did drugs but it was like gorgeous gorgeous magnificent theater found out by going to um, Come, I came up with the idea of doing a a project with my students. I got funding. I would always get extra funding. You know, like I said, use my my expertise as an artist to apply to Brooklyn Arts Council to do to search to learn about the history of what was called the Bushwick Theater, and found out like this wasn't just any normal theater. This was a, an opera house. This was a place that, gee, Bushwick Avenue at the time. Like I, I mean, I knew this was this is something special about this place. It was these are mansions. I'm seeing mansions that are something happened, but there are mansions along here. Yes, that we learned that Bushwood was a very desirable neighborhood. The mayor of Mayor High, I mean, just within you know a couple of generations, it was a very sought after community. The people that the mayor of New York City lived there, Mayor Highland. Uh, that, that he would, that a lot of opera stars, uh, Caruso performed there. You know, it was like, uh, then a lot of people who grew up in Bushwick would, later on when it became a vaudeville house, you know, May West would perform there. It became a a, theater, a movie theater in the 60s and in the 70s. And then the blackout happened, and um, and it wasn't just a blackout. It was a whole, that's what I came to learn, that it was, uh, you know, it very it's a long drawn out explanation of human events and politics and redlining that that and also industry leaving an area the, the beer industry and of course white flight to suburbs and there's many reasons many many things and 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 Drawback of services. You know, hey, what brings up crime? Poverty. Um, so we would I brought my students and we went to the Brooklyn Historical Site to learn about the history of the Bushwick Theater and we made a rebuilt it. I mean, and the kids looked at it. at just speaking this magnificent. a magnificent building. Some other projects we did was I remember turning into. We made used made pinhole cameras and, and made like fake windows and photo and the the kids brought home the pinhole cameras and photographed and wrote about what they saw outside the window and through that you learned about some of the very sad things that they experience all the time. You know, if a, if a kid is sleeping at your desk or crying or angry or throwing a thing, there's a reason, and this was a way a safe a way of expressing and letting go or if a kid comes in crying and sobbing and you find out it's because their, their friend was shot and killed at a party and they, they were able to borrow the camera they could take out it to photograph their friend's funeral. It was a healing process for them. Because I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't take those kind of pictures. The odd thing about all of it, and and I getting, I kept on getting more grants and more opportunities for students to show their work at like the new museum. You no, know, it, like, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, and 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 we had a, you know, after school program. Um, you guys. Uh, time's yeah. up. Okay, I'd say the the most important thing was Bushwick gave a lot to to me, and I. Found a lot through it. I did get a was a contender for the dis a, a, a finalist for the of a national teaching award the Disney American Teaching Award, and at the time and a, and and here I was in my and and, and I could and I was w- winning a lot of awards as a teacher and I could have transferred schools easily, but I actually liked what I was doing and where I was, but the year before I was supposed to. I was, you know, 14 years of teaching, and Airtime one flown out to California, you know, being one of the top three art educators in the country, and then I, oh, wait, the, the filmmaker came out from Disney to film the school, and I remember at the time he came with the film crew, just, just doing lessons because they would do TV spots, but every, all the teachers, and we were going out with our stu- he wanted to catch the students out in the schoolyard, just using the cameras. And they were shocked because some gangs were, came in running after trying to steal their equipment. And he, that, that filmmaker w- always felt sorry for, for, the, for us. And he would, this was pre-recycling, he was he would ship boxes of magazines so we could do collage work with it. Okay, so, so the only reason I left Bushwick, when I did, was besides the fact, like I said, I'm a, was intending for this to be my long term profession. I was working, the, the, the superintendent was, wanted me to switch to a new school they were starting that was, for, um, it was in the district office, an alternative school, and a small work, school movement was happening. And wanted, They wanted me to write grants to the district office. I said, No, that's not really what I'm interested in. I really like teaching, I just want to write grants for my, my own classes. We were, we did a we we did we did an installation in the medical room about all you want to know you know AIDS education every question they ever had about AIDS, and it was in bilingual Spanish and English, and I the the superintendent wanted me to move to this new school, and I said. I'm in the middle of a project. I would never do that. I have to go through the school year. I said the only reason I would be interested in switching is that in my own personal work, I'm starting to use computers, and I'd like to use it as an art tool. I said, oh yeah, we'll have computers there. So at the end of this is 2002, we finished our installation. I switched to a different school on Bushwick Avenue, on the Rosa T Weatherless Alternative School and I discovered it was not the school population for me mm-hmm. this was a school that was really basically for kids who were who had a lot of behavioral problems and I'm used to that but, but everyone did <laughs> and it was and they and 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 couldn't couldn't go on trips with the kids. It was. I mean, I loved. I loved ki- taking the kids on trips to different areas. I thought that was really important. It wasn't the population for me. I also didn't get the computer lab that they promised. And I wasn't. It was. And I still did projects, but it was. It was a different. wasn't It wasn't. If it was the fir- If it would had been my first year of teaching, I would have quit teaching. You have to learn. Teachers have to l- learn. It's different. Like, I like. I like middle school. You find out that you like certain things, but you, and uh, um, they were to me this 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 school was not but I was was not the right place for me. It ended up being that it wasn't the right place for anyone because it closed up. But during that time on my sabbatical, I, I switched I was went also looking for a new school that would allow me to teach with computers. I'd like given up my position I, as 291 someone else had it so I looked for somebody and so I switched schools to a school in Manhattan afterwards and, and then but Bushwick was a gift to me because after in 2007, I got an email. So I mean, I, I, I end up you know teaching another 14 years, 15 years after the sabbatical at the School of Manhattan in Institute for Collaborative Education, and I get an email from someone named Adam Schwartz, who I recommend you speak to, and he says, "Hi, my you know my you know name is Adam Schwartz, John Napolillo, who was." He and his wife, Linda Napolillo, were my colleagues at IS-291. She was the one who taught me how to, how to teach so I could have more classroom management, so it could be quieter, so she could teach her science classes. Anyway, they were my colleagues. And he, and he now worked with them at this school called IS-111 on Star Street. And, and Adam, like me, most, me, me, most teachers, people don't realize, have expertise, a passion. He was teaching ESL, but he was also, his passion and his training was in history. And he too became fascinated, wanting to know more about the history of Bushwick. Because you he would hear stories from, Linda, from John Napolillo talking about, you think it's rough now, you have no idea what it was like teaching in the 70s, and just some of the wild stories about how, how we did it as teachers, because the teachers were really dedicated. And, it was, and you have to have a great sense of humor, too. And he wanted to propose a, a grant to the Brooklyn Historical Society to do an exhibit about, called, he had the name, Up From Flames, you know, Bushwick's transformation from 1977 to 2007. And he started looking for images to, to submit with the grant proposal. To have an exhibit there, and the only pictures you can find Bushwick were of like the blackout. You have the news, the news stories of blackout mm-hmm. from this period, and there's more than that. And now Na- Napalilo said, contact Meisler. She was always taking pictures. So I get this email from 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 Adam Schwartz. I you know email him back. Sure, I have lots of slide boxes where I wrote Bushwick. Lots, I have lots of them, lots of them, and, you know, and um, they're in my, in a basement, I have them boxed up, I can get them out and, and look, because, and I'm going to go back in time, 1984, when I first, 1985, I, had a sh- I was invited to have an exhibit, at a, through some, a women's art organization I was active at, professional women photographers, and since I was teaching full time, and I had been photographing at the, my school at East New York, Lower East Side, I want to do something about schools and surroundings, some of the color slide pictures I've been taking of students in the neighborhoods. And at that time, in order to make color prints from those slides and map them, it cost me, I we're talking about 1985, $100 a print. And, and maybe I was making $13,000 a year debt. Like I realized I could never afford to do this. But so I did did make some prints, and that's how I started painting on my photographs. Because I started hand painting on those, just because I, because I did, um, exhibiting those hand painted work on the on the rejects. But here in two thousand seven, technology had changed. I could scan the pictures, so I scanned some of the pictures. We joined, I gathered some of the boxes. We looked through some of the work together with Adam and made of a selection. I. That I scanned to get to the proposal, and we got the exhibit at the Brooklyn Historical Society, and that was 2007. And we and he would, it would involve collaborating with his students, which was right up my, my alley. I always loved doing. I found that was always the, the richest thing to do with students was to collaborate with them mm-hmm. to do about things that matter to them, and so this was like. I certainly understand that.. Yeah, so he was doing mapping the neighborhood and doing research the history of the neighborhood with his students, and on his own interviewing some of the people's stories about what it was like to come through the, the blackout to like what was obviously an uprising, coming up from the flames, of Phoenix rising, and showing some and showing my photographs at the Book of the Historical Society. And at a time, I wasn't printing my work myself. I took a class at FIT, Fashion Institute Technology, just to use their, their scanners and be to print their work and put it up. I also want, we the only, we tried to reach out to the Bushwick community to, to come see the work, and very few people that we knew of came besides some of the people we interviewed, but some of the politicians and local community organis- organizers. And looking at the work, when, and this was before Bushwick was hot, hot, hot like it is now. It was two, thousand and seven and I and I remember Adam said, It's gonna be a Bushwick opens stu- to art arts st- open studio tour. Of artist communities in Bushwick, and I said, "Wow, that's amazing." The only artists I knew when we were there were, we were obviously there a lot of artistic student people because you could see in the graffiti or in kids' work, but there certainly were no galleries. The only art scene were the art teachers, showing the kids' work either in their bulletin boards or like through those art teachers' concern, and we got it out there. But like, a, a, are you kidding? Like a art scene, and I, and I, he convinced me, and I was, I mean, I was like. Near, near the last three years of my teaching career, so and still working full-time, so, so you know, it's a it's, it's limited amount of energy you have, but I put some of those work in, in something called The Life Cafe, through, through introductions to through Adam, uh, doing what was Bushwagopa Studios, and I didn't know it, and people like came and liked the work, but and people came to the exhibit at Brooklyn Historical Society, and, and we had the we had the smarts to make a website, which my my spouse, Patricia O'Brien, she she an artist too, and was working at the Metropolitan Museum, which was means making no money, and, and I got her a job teaching at IS 111 on Star Street, where eventually Adam was. She did that for seven years. You know, they were just all it took was going in and saying someone who you know someone who'd like to, a, a position and they were just really glad to have people come and stay. And she's taught there for seven years, but left. Left, but never really wanted to be a teacher, and she became a, a designer. And so she designed a website for us that was part of the ex- exhibition, documenting what we had in exhibition, and that's really a, 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 a tremendous, tremendous resource to people now of the history of Bushwick and a lot of my photographs. Well, okay, when the, sh- when the show came down, I knew that these were beautiful photographs. Didn't have, even if there wasn't a history of a particular neighborhood that was on the rise, that it wasn't on the rise as I knew it now, I knew they were beautiful images. It didn't matter if they were a little blurry. It didn't matter if I had a like, retouched dust and the allergy that it was on some of them being near a damp wall. They were beautiful images of people and a time and a place. And I became obsessed with them. Oh, I was like, people were always saying, you know, what are you working on now, Meryl? It's like, my Bushwick pictures. It's like, why? You know, you have the other <laughs> series. Like, I, I just knew these beautiful photographs. And I would, kept on scanning, and, and I learned, I taught myself how to print on a printer's daughter, so I could show them, start showing them to a curator. I called up the curator at the Museum of City of New York. Cold. Emailed deduction and cold saying that I have this body of work that I'm doing a bushwork in the 80s and he he saw me his name is Sean Corcoran and he actually saw me and I would didn't have a reputation even though I've always shown as artists and I've gotten grants and I've gotten awards no one knew my name he was just he said he made and I we spoke recently and he said that he always makes his business to, to just meet new people and see what they have and he encouraged me he said come show me more and I kept on printing. I kept on showing this work. I want to show this work. These are, I know these are strong photographs. And, and then in 2000, after we like I said, I retired in 2010. I was still obsessed with this bushwork work. And a, a friend of mine, who I know through the photographic community, Marilyn Fish Glenn, who is part of professional women photographers, but also on the board of a Soho Photo Gallery, said. Um, you know, I love you. I have a series where I was doing digital immersions of New York City landworks. Mark said her name is Fish, and so she said, "I'd love you to show that work." We have a guest, guest, photography spot, a gallery, and maybe I'll sponsor you to submit a portfolio. I said, "Thank you, Marilyn, but the work I am interested in is this Bushwick work." She said, "I, I, I think these are very important photographs." I said, well, I don't know if they all accept it. I said, well, okay, yeah. But I said, I'll apply. I'd submit that portfolio. Well, they did accept it. And I treated that show like it was a museum show. And I reached out. Here we are in 2011. And I'm like, you know, look at this. You know, there's there's a Bushwick Community Darkroom. I'll reach out to them. Come. Something called Bushwick Daily, a blog. I'll reach out to them. And these people came. I, I, I came, I remember, and they did, you know, articles about it, or they saw the work. I would, I would come and see the show on days that it wasn't on, and I, there was a woman wearing a, a, a Brooklyn hat, and I just went up to to say, hi, this, this is my work, and I turn around and she's crying. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I, I guess someone just died. She said, no, she said, this is my neighborhood. And this is where i live and you you presented the people so beautifully oh thank you so through this through the through this i got was introduced to the bushwick arts community who came to see my work and talk about it and put me in touch with people who, you know, like I met Vanessa. I also, people who were on this, something called Bushwick Open Studios contacted me. Oh, no, the Bushwick Community Talk Room. She invited me to show some of my work in a, a bar in Bushwick. It's like, oh, isn't this fun? Or another artist who who later on, her name is Deborah Brown. And she emailed me, said, I saw your work in the, at the... At, the Brooklyn Historical Society. I'm doing a presentation in you know some place like in Maryland or something like that about the Bushwick arts community. Can I show some of, some of your images to show a little about the history? Absolutely. And she she said, oh, I'm, and then later on, I remember getting an email. Oh, we're starting a gallery. I said, this is amazing. They're starting a gallery in Bushwick. That's amazing. Uh, or, or or come come to Bushwick Open Studios. And it was to visit and I came to Bushwick Open Studios in uh, uh, in 2 th- so oh, my show in, in Soho Photo was in 2011 and mm-hmm. 2012 I went to visit Bushwick Open Studios and I got off I brought my camera and and, and there was a train broke were broken I went through East New York and and I came along, and, and I got out and like, saw this scene going on, I said, oh, this is exciting, I want to show my work in Bushwick-Kilber Studios. And, and that was one of the things I said with Vanessa, when she, she came to see my work, because she realized my, work, my photographs were like oh, her, 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 her childhood. Um, I think I taught her, her brother, and that her writing was about the kids I taught, I said I want to show my work in Bushwick during Bushwick Opera Studios, and I'm down. And I started submitting, visiting some of these upstart galleries, and submitting proposals to have be part of Bushwick Opera Studios. and here we're talking about February and Open Studios, is June, and you know nobody said yes. And then I saw an ad, an, an you know, that well, ad in Bushwick in Brooklyn Daily about a new gallery opening called the Living Gallery. It, they would be opening in Bushwick, and it was for for, for a mixed use pay, space. They want to show underrepresented people. Hey, that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, things to do with children and education. Oh, that's me. You know, I I it's like I fit that. This sounds right. And I shot this woman an email, Nissa Frank, and sent some links to some of the reviews that had been on on of the show and some images. And she said, "I'd love to meet you." And I said, I, I, "May I also bring a, a, a writer that I'm want to work with?" And I it was April first. It was it's, and she, show her the open a portfolio she had just gotten the lease for the space that would become the gallery, and it looked like a wreck. And her mother happened to be visiting at the time. I showed a few pictures. She said, "I'd love to give you a show." It's like, okay. Um, I said, well, I'd love to do it during Bushwick Open Studios, which we would talk about like, in two months. She said, okay. And it's like, bam, that was it. And, and we had our first show, when we called it um, Defying De- Devastation, Bushwick in the 80s, because that's what it is. It was devastation, but there was also life, and we wanted to show about that. Yeah, it was like people living in faith and community and and purpose and yeah, you know, it just, just so we could combine my writing with I mean Vanessa's writing going along with different themes in my photographs and and people and Patricia, my partner, did the designing. We made approach project like say like a museum show, there were graphics and posters and Descriptions and the photographs were beautifully printed and installed, beautiful, you know, really mindfully. And it was packed. Our opening was packed, and I had a, a whole weekend was packed. And we had a sign-in book for people signing in, visiting. And I go over there, I said, "Oh, look at that! Someone wrote that they were Holland Carter visiting. Holland Carter is is a critic from the New York Times. It's like what, that's, that's so funny." And Mrs. Frank's mother, the gallerist, whose mother, Ella, Ellen Frank, is an artist, said, look over there, that is Holland Cotter. The critic from the New York Times came to see our show and included it in a write-up in the New York Times. That was like, oh, that was amazing. <gasps> Bushwick has been a gift to me. Is there, um, can you perhaps say the website that... Uh patricia design as we close out do i have a website yes Yes. my website is M e r y l m e i s l e r m-e-r-y-l-m-e-i-s-l-e-r.com i also have uh, bushwick uh, another place in bar in bushwick Bazaar on jefferson street invited me to have shows there and through this basement bar in Bushwick. They ended up becoming my publisher. I have a book, A Tale of Two Cities, Disco Era Bushwick, where I put together my disco work and my Bushwick work because I realized it was through disco I learned about Bushwick, and now Bushwick is this hot scene where all the clubs are. I'm going to go visit some friend, uh, uh, something at Bazaar tonight. <laughs> uh, so. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a ramble, a ramble all around story about Bushwick.